0: Hmm, this is a tasty chewing gum. What? Sorry.
1: What kind of gum so are you they have Like Samuel off-
0: Jackson having <laughs> that <laughs> keep
1: Samuel
0: yeah. Jackson there for a 2nd
2: Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, did I break your concentration?
3: I'm Captain Benjamin Sisko. Welcome to Deep Space Nine. Red alert. All crew members report to battle stations. Red alert. Shields up. What shields? You're Starfleet officers. Now start acting like it.
2: Oh, it's
3: just Garrett. Plain, simple. Dex. Deck. Dex. We might have just discovered the first stable wormhole known to exist.
1: The wormhole does bring them our way, doesn't it?
0: Everyone wants a piece of the new
3: frontier.
1: This will shortly become a leading center of commerce and of
2: scientific exploration. And for Starfleet,
3: one of our most important posts.
2: Quite a motley crew you've assembled here, Benji. Listen. To the prophets, a Deep Space Nine podcast, and here are your
1: hosts: Andrew Leland, Paul Spitaro, and Dr. Bill Robinson. hell! Welcome to Listen to the Prophets, a Deep Space Nine podcast covering each and every episode of the supposedly underrated Star Trek Deep Space Nine. I think it's coming into its own. I mean, just a decade later, but it's coming into its own. I am Jay David Weeder, and with me is the usual cohorts here on the Promenade. We have. Andrew Leyland. Hello Dr. Bill Robinson Thank you, Mavic He just got his coffee mm-hmm. And special guest star Mr. Paul Spataro Ooh,
3: special I'm special
2: Like Jonathan Harris in Lost in Spurs You're the special guest
1: star yep. Every week at Every week <laughs> Or Heather Locklear at Melrose Place Oh, yeah. Normally, we start with a little bit of back and forth about Star Trek news, but there was an email that came in that we wanted to go ahead and address right up front uh, about episode number 112, if I remember correctly. Hmm. Okay. Uh, Alistair Jakes
2: emailed in. Hello, Alistair. Uh, regarding Dr. Bashir, I presume, and Paul Svatero's comments on the autistic. I am an autistic man, writes Alistair, who listens to your show and has been quietly enjoying your comedy stylings and analyses, so this was a surprising punch across the face. I find it deeply ironic that Paul's favourite quote handily sums up my feelings on the idea of using genetic manipulation to cure the autistic. If you listen to actual autistic people, you will learn that talk of a cure and conspiracy theories about it being caused by junk food are very much against what autistic people actually think. Dr. Bill Robinson is right. Autism was only recently codified, and we are still struggling to understand it. Does Paul think that gay people similarly only sprang up in the 80s? If I'm sounding offended right now, then I apologise. But maybe someone should do an edit before publication to make sure nobody sounds like Dr Mengele. I'm not exaggerating much, since Hans Asperger worked on Nazi death panels, sending disabled children to be killed. I recommend Paul reads a book called Neurotribes by Steve Silberman. It is a history of how autistic people have been treated. 500 pages of how people have tried to cure and treat the autistic for during to be different. Rant over. Right, We'll get into the rest of the email in a minute, but I think Paul deserves the chance to respond to that.
3: Okay, yeah, and uh, thanks, Andy. Uh, Alistair, first of all, I want to thank you for your email. I do take comments about our show very, very seriously. Um, I I love praise, but I also... I'm interested in hearing criticism when it comes up because I always want to be better. So I'm going to start off by saying, you know, you're an autistic man and you're, you have every right to your opinion. So I apologize to you for offending you because that is never my goal. Uh, I'm, I'm never looking to offend anybody in this. And it was a very, very serious discussion that we were having. I, I note in your email that you continually or you more than once put the word cure in quotations. Uh, so I'm taking that as as you're saying there is nothing to cure that we don't have you know something that needs to be cured and uh, I'm I'm a little not troubled by that but confused by it to be quite honest with you um, as I mentioned in the show that you're talking about uh, I have a friend who has an autistic child uh, he's he's a, a lovely little boy and he is unable to verbally communicate at all. Uh, and he has limited communication skills period Uh, he understands very much and I have to tell you my understanding of autism I think as with most people is somewhat limited I think people who've studied it have somewhat limited understanding of it because it is such a complex situation Uh, you know they talk about the scale and clearly, you know, if you have been diagnosed as autistic, you're on the, the high end of the scale, you know, the, the high functioning end. You're obviously able to communicate and get your thoughts out. And, and I respect that. And I'm, I think you should, you know, we, we, we all should be proud of that. Uh, but there are people who are, you know, on the other end of the scale who are bedridden and, and unable to communicate at all. Uh, so I'm not even sure it's the same condition when it's somebody who's High functioning, and when it's somebody who's not functioning at all, uh, I don't know even know if we have enough of an understanding of it to know that. But when we have somebody who is in that condition, bedridden or, or unable to communicate at all, I do believe it is something that we would strive to cure. Uh, again I'm not trying to offend anybody and I, and I certainly respect your opinions uh, but I, I, you know every year I do a, a, a walk with my friend and his family uh, for autism and the the goal is to and I'm going to put it in quotations cure autism now somebody such as yourself may not need that but there are others who do so I, I think it's unfair of any of us to put all cases into one category uh, and perhaps, the money that's raised in this before they can even think about a cure is being invested to understand it better. It's certainly not something uh, I, I do take some offense, quite frankly, to being told that I sounded like Dr. Mengela. I, I don't believe that that is the case. Uh, you know, so you were offended by my comments, and I'm a little offended by yours, to be quite frank. Um, I, I I'm, I'm a little uncomfortable with it, quite frankly. I I, I don't uh think of it that way i think of myself and it's for other people to judge not for me really but i do think of myself as an open-minded person you know you mentioned does paul think gay people similarly only sprang up in the 1980s i'll tell you something i was around in the 1980s i am you know older um and i would say between the 1980s and now my understanding of gay people has when my, my knowledge or my understanding has increased tremendously uh I used to believe there was an element of choice in there I don't believe that anymore uh, I believe that you know you my, my theory on that and I'm not gonna go too far into it is you like who you like and you don't pick who you're going to like so gay people don't pick who they're attracted to they just are attracted to whoever they are the same way non-gay people are uh, and I again I'm not trying to offend anybody uh, but my point is that I'm, I'm certainly open to hearing different things and learning about things. So maybe there is something about autism that I need to learn, and maybe I should read Neurotribes. But I don't think my position is unreasonable, and I certainly don't think I'm Dr. Mengele. But once again, Alistair, I am sorry that I offended you. That was never my intention.
2: Um, oh, go ahead. Go on. I was just going to say, um, if you if you have a problem with Paul or something Paul says, talk to him directly because he is – and I'm gonna be nice to him, which I very rarely am. <laughs> oh, Andy, no. Uh, he is one of the nicest, most reasonable people I have ever met. Even though oh, we don't- Oh, yeah, come well, You're Sorry. just lovely, man. Uh, even though we politically don't always agree, uh, I have never had a problem discussing what my opinion is and his opinion and meeting in the middle somewhere. And if, if you do want to talk to him about it privately, I'm sure he would welcome that opportunity to speak to you, just one-on-one, because he is a very reasonable and a very nice man.
0: Yes, Paul is. I'm just
3: kidding, kidding. To everyone um, but Bill.
2: Yes, to everyone but Bill. I've recently been watching Voyager as part of Palace Glittering Delights, and one of the things I have looked up is the autistic person's response to Seven of Nine, which obviously went over my head, because, like Paul, I don't know a lot about autism. But reading about how that character reflects their experience gives you a greater understanding of the character and what they are like, and that's great. And I think that that should be reflected in any kind of science fiction, or just fiction generally, but for the most part I think that conversation was generally even-handed, and it did cause us all to bring the rating of the episode up. So, I, I think it's one of the rare times we actually got into a serious conversation about something, and I thought we were all reasonable, but, you know, you may disagree. I will finish up the email. Um Alistair continues, I love the podcast, and subscribe to Palace of Glittering Delights, because Andrew Leyland has a lovely voice.
3: Uh, oh yeah, you just wanted to read that part.
2: I just wanted to read that part, and he's funny. That part, especially, and his analysis are often well observed. Well, thank you, Alistair. Oh, please. See, i lovely. <laughs> Dr. Bill Robinson is comedic as a foil for the rest of the podcasting crew, but his military experience
3: adds to the podcast.
2: Similarly, when Paul is speaking on a subject he actually understands,
3: like <laughs> law, his comments are interesting and funny. And see, that shows that Alistair doesn't know, because uh, what do I know about the law?
2: <laughs> do you know anything about anything? No! Uh, I like the new guy, David. <laughs>
3: <laughs> the new kid in, on the block.
2: A new kid. If and if I feel like Blaine is more of a regular by now. Blaine says, what does he say? Blaine says, I think we should let Bill sing that bit. Blaine it,
0: says, what does he say? Blaine
1: says.
2: It's funny. When I watched the episode, I thought Starfleet was harsh and Julian was overreacting. But having listened to Paul's Soapbox conspiracy theories, I see the wisdom in saying not even once to eugenics. Alistair. Well, thank you, Freemillion and Alistair. Again, if you want to talk to any of us, we're all on Facebook, we're all on Twitter. Just reach out. We will talk to
3: you. We'll talk to anybody most of the time. Uh but thank as, you as, and question. and I'm gonna just I'm gonna qualify that. We will talk to anybody who talks to us in a respectful manner. I think this letter, despite the fact that I disagree with the content, was respectfully submitted, and that's why we're taking it seriously and addressing it.
1: Mm. So with that out of the way, we want to make sure it was addressed up front. This time around we have an episode that I'm excited to talk about, Rocks and Shoals.
3: The Federation at War.
0: The Jem Hadar ships are entering weapons range.
3: Hold the crew marooned. There are ten Jem'Hadar soldiers on this planet, but you can either kill them, or they'll kill you. The fuse is burning. We will hold this world for the Dominion until we die. And something has to explode. They'll kill everyone they can. On the next Star Trek Deep Space Nine. This is
1: the second episode. Is it really the second episode of Season 6? Yeah, yes wow. it is. Uh, directed by Mike Vihar, or V'jerk. Hmm? Could be fun. <laughs> That'd be more appropriate, yeah. wouldn't it? <laughs> Written by Ronald D. Moore, and this aired the week of October 6th,
3: 1997. Paul, where were you? I was four days from becoming a father. Again? Wow. Oh, 1996? <laughs> no, excuse me. What? No, 97? 97. 97. Okay, yeah, 97, correct.
1: Okay. Uh, Sorry, I didn't mean to throw you off. I know your memories. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <on. laughs> I'm
2: old and yeah. feeble. Was that the nicest way you could come up with a saying he's now decrepit? Yeah.
1: Old and infirm is the term. Bajar <laughs> yeah. uh. seeks seeks the creator. Sorry. Whoa, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so this episode, Captain Sisko and his crews capture Jim Hadar's ship, crash onto a barren planet, hidden inside a nebula, landing in a small sea. That sounds like the, the line from JFK. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Back into the house
1: Yeah, the senior officers and handful of crew members survive and seek shelter in a cave. Although Lieutenant Commander Dax is severely injured, can we make a note of that? Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, there yeah, is a notes on that. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Unbeknownst to the survivors, a crew of Jim Hadar and their Vorta Keevan, have also arrived on a recent crash landing on the planet, and similarly, similarly, damn it, hyperbol, and likewise, likewise, have taken up shelter <laughs> in a cave. The Jim Hadar first and second are dead, but Kievan has not promoted the third Ramatoklan Did I say that Klan. Right?
3: Do, 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 do. Sorry.
1: to the rank of the first because Ramatoclon at some point questioned Keevan's orders. Kievan, seriously injured, strictly rations the ketrasel White to the dismay of the Jim Hadar. Garrick and Nog are captured while scouting the unfamiliar territory. Back at the Dominion camp, Garrick reveals to Keevan, "Kevan, am I saying that right?
0: I think it's Keevan.
1: Okay. That the Starfleet contingent includes a doctor. Suffering from having low levels of Ketrasol White, the Jim Hadar are, despite a direct order, unable to refrain from firing on the Starfleet personnel who set out to search for Garrick and Nog and are also unable to shroud. The skirmish ends with no Starfleet injuries and an uncharacteristic Jim Hadar withdrawal. Kiva demands to know the identity of the soldier who first opened fire, but Ramada Khan refuses. Citing the order of things. The Vorta may discipline the unit leader, but only the unit leader disciplines the soldiers under his command. Keevan orders Ramadoclon to approach the Starfleet crew. When Ramadoclon arrives at the Starfleet camp, he delivers a message to Sisko. I feel like Luke Skywalker should be popping up here, but we're mixing, we're crossing the streams. I kind of see Cleavon Little from, um... <laughs> <label>. <laughs> <laughs> you Mr. Sisko! Yeah. Mr. Sisko! Keevan will free the Ferengi and the Cardassian in exchange for Dr. Bashir, from whom Keevan needs treatment and Sisko for whom Keevan wants to speak. Cisco takes the opportunity to drive a wedge between Ramada Klan and his Vorda, relating to the Jem'Hadar the events from the To the Death, specifically the Jem'Hadar first murder of Wayum. He got better. Cisco asserts that it must be hard to maintain discipline in their current surroundings and suggests that Ramada Klan not pay so much heed to the Vorda. Ramada Klan, however, remains loyal to Keevan, and Cisco agrees to the prisoner exchange. Bashir successfully treats Keevan's wound, although the Vorta is still very weak. After dismissing the Jem'Hadar, Keevan tells the Starfleet officers of his minuscule supply of ketracel white. He shows them a transmitter and admits he doesn't have enough white to sustain the soldiers long enough for them to fix the transmitter and send a distress call. He further explains that once the supply is gone, the Jem'Hadar will go on a killing rampage. Keevan tells them that he will order the Jem'Hadar to attack their position, however the Vorta will give Sisko their attack plan, allowing them to kill the Dominion soldiers. Kievan will also provide them with the transmitter that Jim Hadar have been working on. Assuming the Starfleet personnel can repair it and call for rescue, Kievan will become their captive, saving his life from the Jim Hadar. This information does not sit well with some of the Starfleet crew, Chief O'Brien asserts that there are rules in war and getting information from Keevan that will allow them to slaughter his men somehow violates these rules. Derek, on the other hand, is perfectly content to take advantage of the knowledge because of course he is. Sisko interrupts the discussion to point out that when it comes down to choosing between us and them, there is no choice. On Derek Noor, Major Kira gradually comes to realize that not opposing the Dominion occupation, she has become a collaborator. She identifies uncomfortable parallels between her own passivity and those who collaborated with the Cardassians during their occupation of Bajor. Vedic Yassim in particular has strong words for Kira, culminating with her suicide by hanging on the promenade. Before jumping to her death, Yassim declares evil must be opposed. Kira wakes up the next morning but leaves off shortly into her shift. After mulling over the situation, she confides in Odo that she is going to start actively resisting the Dominion. Back on the barren world, Sisko and his crew have established a lethal crossfire along the Jim Hadar's approach to their camp. Sisko calls out to Ramada Klan. Ramatoclon, he was the greatest dancer.
3: Who agrees to con- I was thinking more like Ramatoclon, Ramatoclon, Ramatoclon.
1: <laughs> I feel for you. Who agrees to confer in the open. Sisko tells him of Keevan's betrayal and argues that the Vorta does not deserve their loyalty. Ramatoclon confesses that he recognized Keevan's attack plan as deliberately leading them into a trap. Sisko offers to put the Jim Hadar into stasis, preserving their lives. Despite this, however, the Jim Hadar states that Keevan does not need to earn his loyalty the Hadar's loyalty to the Vorta is genetically bred into them as part of the Order of Things. Ramatoclon says he will follow Keevan's orders, knowing that neither he nor any of his men will survive. Sisko returns to his position after Ramatoclon prepares his men by declaring our deaths are our glory to the Founders and the Jem'Hadar attack. They are quickly mowed down by the Starfleet crew, although Ensign Gordon is killed. Not Gordon! Ah. <laughs> he even appears shortly thereafter, strolling among his dead, with the transmitter in hand. He shouts to Sisko that if he'd had just two more vials of Ketrasol White, Sisko and his crew never would have had a chance. Sisko orders a burial for the dead. Damn and this Cisco, episode. Sisko <laughs> almost said,
0: Get this piece of... Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: This, Piece this of episode, blank out of here. Yeah, this episode was intense. I it, watched this thing like four times. Yeah, it was – It was. It, 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 I both love it and I hate it. And mm-hmm. I hate it because when you watch this episode, you realize that there were paths that Voyager could have taken that would have been arresting and, and probably would have pushed that show over the, the edge into a place of, of just absolute legend. Because this, this episode is the one where... I mean, we're so far off of what would be considered traditional Star Trek at this point, and it's completely captivating. No pun intended. Back to your <clears throat>
0: Jadzia point. Um, was she out of action because of her reaction to the makeup, like in the Risa episode? No, a no? no. It's apparently Acosta, the reaction yes. to being out in the
3: sun. Yeah, right. Yeah,
0: she, it, she well, yeah. That, well, sorry.
3: I couldn't remember if it was the sun or the makeup and the sun combined. Yeah, she, she apparently has some sort of condition that, that doesn't allow her to be in bright right. sunlight. And, of course, putting her in the she's bottom like, she's I think she's a mogwai.
1: Magwai, magwai. Yeah, take a nice good look at Jadzia. I mean, it's a nice Jadzia we got there. be a shame if something happened to it.
0: Mm. <laughs> I would say the uh, between her and Keevan, the uh, the the Oscar for acting while laying on your back has to go to Keevan,
3: though. Yeah. Oh, Keevan is just. Oh, oh, oh he makes me so mad. Oh, he's he's, he's just detestable, <laughs> which is great. You gotta love it. <laughs> I
1: usually watch but, these episodes before I go to work, and I went to work pissed off. Bad plan.
3: <laughs> but I, I'm really glad he isn't our primary vorda that we see over again, you know, that they decided to repeat with. You know, we're so much better off with Wayun because he's detestable but funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he it, can it's, play both sides. He can be the fake, you know, oh, blah, 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 and if, then become. X yeah, Yeah, if you had this guy on too much, you you know, you it would become tiresome because he's so he he's one dimensional in his hate hateability. It's perfect for this episode, but in the long term, I don't think it would be enjoyable viewing.
2: No, mm, no. But yeah, for this one, he's absolutely brilliant. I think we should also single out Phil Morris. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh. is the lead is the lead Gem Hadar in this episode who does a wonderful job under all that latex.
0: So can you guys link? Um, Can you guys link Phil Morris to Avery Brooks through another show? Like playing Six Degrees of Separation? I can't. Were they both in in Spencer for Hire? No. But Phil Morris was on the Love Boat, the second wave reboot with Robert Urich all oh,
1: right. Yurk Europe was right.
2: a nice right? See, yeah. Phil Morris as well. I know Phil Ma- I mean, Phil Morris has been in loads of stuff.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Like Smallville and everything. But I remember him. He played. Oh, yeah. He was the, the Marshall wasn't he? He yep. was, yes. yeah. He played yeah. the son of his dad's character in the 80s uh, Mission Impossible continuation. Oh, that's right. He was, yes, he was Greg Morris's son. Or is yeah. Greg Morris' son. Yeah, so he to, and he actually played Greg Morris's character's son in Mission Impossible.
3: Yeah, oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, which
2: was Because uh, <laughs> one of the best episodes of the 80s Mission Impossible, Greg Morris came back for an episode, and him and Jim Phelps were
1: doing stuff, and his son was there as well, and it was really good. Do they remember the 80s Mission Impossible being really good. The the Love Boat revival, not so much.
0: Didn't it have Jane? The, the 80s one had Jane Balder in it too, didn't it? Jim Badler, Badler! Badler. Sorry, jeez! Oh, oh my God, she's not one of the Warriors it. Three. Yeah. <laughs> I say, old boy, don't yell at me about my pronunciation.
3: My, my personal not? favorite is when he was on Seinfeld. Oh, I uh,
0: Jackie Child, right?
3: Yes. yeah, he, he was. You know, he he's shown he, he has the the acting chops to do comedy as well as drama. Oh, he is great in this episode. Yes, he is exceptionally good in this episode.
0: He's got all the best. He's got all the best lines in this. Yep. He's like, we will hold this world for the Dominion, and if we fail... We will hold this world. For the it's like, yeah. There's no, there's no middle ground with him. Absolutely fine.
2: And the this, scene. This... Oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say I'm going going back to what Dave said after he, he did the uh, the synopsis. This episode never ends upon anyone's top ten favorites, and it seems very much a sleeper show. Yet, like you, Bill, I I just thought this one was absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. I thought this was an absolute blinder of a shit.
3: And once again, I tried to beat you in the. Uh... Yeah, but we weren't in for all of Nobody went for it, because Andy put something about how good it was, or Bill put okay. about how good it was, and Andy agreed, and I just put in,
2: eh. <laughs> like,
3: yeah, right, whatever.
2: Yeah, and there's oh. so much good stuff, not
0: only on the planet, the location filming,
2: oh, which the- apparently
0: was hell for everybody. Yeah, their boots were melting, and the uh, the makeup was getting in the Jem'Hadar guy's eyes. Yeah, they said it's when their eyes are all red, but I think it's just added to the fact yeah. that
3: they're on the edge. They should have went up to, I think, so 127 good. degrees Ooh, while they were filming. Wow. Yeah. But it looks
2: brilliant. It actually yeah. does look really good. Advantage of being able to go out on location. But it also gives us some really funny bits. <laughs> like, um... I ripped my pants. Brian and his pants <laughs> ripping. And the only unintentional comical bit is when Nog is swimming to the shore, and he's clearly just on his knees. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But other than that, that, old, that whole bit with, with Bashir, with Bashir, sorry, with O'Brien moaning that he's ripped his kex and all of the character stuff in this episode is
3: great. I love the exchange between Nog and, and uh, Garrick.
0: Yeah, I get a nitpick about that, too. Do you? Oh. Yes. Well, no, it, it's fine because when he's like, you know, there's no time to be lying around. And then later, which that's the uh, Garrick looks great in this, too. You know, being outside in the makeup, I'm sure it's hot, but he just looks so uh, rugged and um, ready. But um, so the whole stay in front of me or beside me thing, right? That, you know, Nog's like, you know, because Garrick's like, what are you doing? You either stay next to me or in front of me. I'm not turning tu- 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 my back on you. But yet, when they're doing the prisoner exchange, Nog runs ahead of Garrick in front of him. Yeah, but isn't he running to get away? True, true. And then <laughs> Garrick even calls him out. Easy now. <laughs> okay. yeah. like,
3: like, but that's oh. the excitement of the moment taking over for Nog. Right. I, 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 you know, he, he kinda forgot himself. You gotta under, you know, you gotta remember too, as much as he tries to be, he is not a born and bred soldier.
0: Right, but I I just thought, I was like, wait, you're going against what you,
3: oh. Yeah, and that's something you'd point out to him if you were there. No, what are you doing? But it's not necessarily out of character for him, because he is a young, excitable kid. So in that situation, he would want to, you know, get out of there as quickly as he possibly could, and that's what he did. Yeah.
0: Did you think there was a uh, Planet of the Apes homage with the ship going down in the background?
2: Yeah, because certainly I know Rob Moore's a Planet of the Apes fan. (laughs) Who isn't? Well, yeah, all, all sensible people like the first Planet of the Apes film.
3: <laughs> uh, I like how that I, I, I really, just to kind of keep it going, I, I really enjoyed the subplot with Kira, too. I thought that was... Well, uh, I was,
2: I was going to get into that. The, yeah. th- I mean, all we've talked about so far is the Hadar plot, yet this was one of those episodes where the A and the B plot were both engrossing.
0: Yeah, I don't I, I really see it like an A-B, it's just an A-A to yeah. me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it just the way the film key (sighs)
2: are doing exactly the same things. At the beginning, at the end, when she, co- I mean, the key, the key scene in this episode for me was actually Jake Cisco, where he's interrogating them as a journalist, and she gets up and storms off, and he says, mm, "Guess I just asked the wrong question." And I, Angela was watching it with me, and I turned to her and said, "No, he just asked the exact right question," mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Kira's just pissed off that he's asking the right questions. That that sub that whole subplot with Kira was absolutely brilliant.
3: Well, it, it's what what's great about it is they've shown the growth of the character without you know where she's doing something she never would have done at the beginning of the series but you understand that it's not that it's out of character it's that she's changed over time hmm. and now she's you know she's she's thinking instead of just acting
2: yeah it's not youthful rebellion anymore it's a more mature rebellion and she wants to go about what she wants how to get her goals without actually getting as many people killed
0: It's kind of like the understanding, well, this is just my opinion, uh, that often when you are younger, you are more youthful, you're more likely to take a certain stance on things, and then as you grow older, you come to see more on both sides of an argument, and you might tend to become more conservative or taking time before you act fully.
3: Conservative not necessarily in your opinions, but conservative in the way you address them.
0: yeah. So, and, and that's not any, in today's political climate, I'm not saying anything about that, I'm just stating that, you know. So, but a note that I made here was that Jake basically splashes cold water on Odo and Kira, and the Vedic is the one that throws a live electrical line on that water to shock them into seeing what they're doing.
3: Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. that scene got me. That was Yeah, that was that was powerful. Yeah. Oh, and Kira tells the Vedic,
0: you just don't understand.
1: And then, and you, ah, oh, ah. It's like, really? Oh, man. Ah, and Carrie's intentions, she- the, the logic to that makes sense. If we do this, right. more people will get killed. If we can more quietly, com- I don't want to say compliantly, but push back more assertively, less aggressively, mm-hmm. then, then she's not wrong. I mean, in a, you're in a hostage situation, whether it's outright stated or not. And how you mm-hmm. act in that is going to determine just how how much your survival chances go up or down.
2: Yeah, she's very much becoming less the open rebellion and more the French resistance. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Another note I have is
0: Kira is so ingrained in the day-to-day mundane that she has forgotten herself. And uh, Paul P- P- P-
3: may – oh, sorry. Sorry, guys. I was going to say it also plays a little bit to the comments that Quark made. I guess was it last episode or the episode before. When he talks about, you know, when when they're talking about it being in a, an occupation, and he says, well, you know, do you see people getting killed? Do you see people being tortured? You know, it, it, there's a little bit of a contrast there. And, and it, it's starting to show the complexities of things that you can't just, you know, run off. And, you know, half crazed, you have to at least think about things before you do them. Or at least, it. you know, that's that's the perspective that they're giving us on it. And I think it's pretty cool. Mm. I think
1: I really appreciate how, like I said, this is as far from traditional Star Trek as we've gotten. Nobody's, a, uh, the crew is split from several different storylines at this point, And they're keeping these plates spinning in pretty good fashion. They're spinning these plates in a way that it's all
3: fascinating, at least
1: in this episode.
3: Mm-hmm. i I agree and you know we're just getting so many so many complex character moments or not even necessarily character but almost uh racial or breed or whatever you want to call it like you know the jem hadar and their motivations the vorda and their motivations the crew and theirs you know just just the way that they all look at things differently and and i i just you know i i just think it's it's a very very well thought out episode and, and showing that, you know, their perspectives are all different on how they approach this and how they were brought into it. You know, the the gemhadar the, the you know, they're being tested by the fact that there's not as much white available and, and, you know, will they still remain loyal and will they still do the things they're supposed to do? The Vorda, his lack of loyalty to the Hadar is is kind of interesting in it. You know, he, he's certainly just out for self-preservation and, you know, if he can... You know, get his own uh, skin out of this. You know, he's very, very willing to sacrifice the Gemhadar to do it.
0: Well, so. the, um, and one of the scenes that really reflects that is when Ramatiklan is talk, talking to Kievan and um, DeFord is so full of double meetings with yeah. his because he's like, um, Ramatiklan says, "Obedience brings victory," and then Keevan looks at him and goes, "Yes, yes, it does, but it's not victory for Ramatiklan." And the Jem'Hadar is victory for the Vorta. Mm -hmm. And you could just see it right on his face. And even Romanoclon knows that, but he still follows his orders to the letter knowing that the guy is just going to sell him out Mm. and he's already he's still the third because he's already questioned the Vorta, and he has not been promoted to first because the first and the second are both dead which is why it's it's you can tell it's a ron
2: script because it plays perfectly into those same things that are happening on the station when kira realizes she is becoming what she once fought against and the the scenes where she's looking in the mirror at the beginning where she puts the smile on and at the end where she looks and can barely see herself in the mirror, they're not quite what you would call subtle, but they work because Nana Visitor's performance in this one is just absolutely brilliant. You realise how much you missed her when she had to have time off because she was pregnant, and that's fine. You know, people are allowed the maternity leave, but at the same time, she is a valued presence on the show, and when they give her something meaty to do like this... It's, it just shows how great she was. In many ways, she's probably the central character in the show, I think.
3: You're talking about in the series as opposed to Yeah, in episode. the series yeah.
2: as a general... She's, I think she's the one who grows and develops the most over the seven
3: years. Yeah, because I think actually Cisco's development is much quicker.
2: Yeah, he's kind of accepted by this point that they think he's the emissary.
3: I think he accepted by the fourth season. We're, yeah. we're, now, we're now into the sixth. So, yeah, I, I think his character arc kind of took you know took root earlier whereas she's still developing uh i was going to make a point but i can't even remember what it was Mm. now
2: (laughs) i think and i also think what it was interesting is these kind of stories are always fascinating with whose side the writer wants you to take and like you were all just saying with deep space nine they do such a good job of painting everybody's different opinions that you when you're listening to that scene where Odo and, and Kira are saying, Well, nobody's getting killed, so let's not let's not rock the boat too much and I'm sat there with Jake going, No, why are you not rocking the boat? Why are you just accepting this? And it's always fascinating when Ron Mo Ron Moore would do that a lot more on Battlestar Galactica as well, where he will give everybody an opinion and a point of view and then make you decide whose side you would be on rather than have the story dictate to you which side
1: you should be on. Mm. So it puts, yeah, both sides of an argument on a table, and then, yeah, you can walk away with whatever you feel. And I, uh, speaking of that, I mean that that kind of dovetails into one of my the things that haunted me about this episode was the Vorda, or pardon me, the Jim Hadari accepting that. Hey, yeah, we're we're, we're screwed here. I had it I saw it coming, mm-hmm. but I'm complying because that's the order of things, and the way that tied into what Kira's is going through and Odo's going through is trying to keep the order of things, and what that ultimately costs. And what I kept thinking about was. Would Captain Kirk or Captain Picard or even Janeway have made the decision that Cisco had to make that we're gonna go through and the Vorta will have to fall? Would they have had the gall to do that.
2: Um, I kind of think Kirk and Janeway would possibly have come to that conclusion were they in this situation. I think Picard would have fought it the most.
3: Picard would have surrendered.
2: <laughs> no, he wouldn't. No. He, would have, he would have found a way eventually, but he would have been pious about it, like he always was. I think Kirk and Janeway are far more grey in the command structure, and certainly the new Captain Pike, he would have happily sided with Sisko.
3: Well, I think it was pre- from a point of view of it. realistically, it's also them. Yeah, uh, I don't think it was. You know, well,
2: Garrick's line, Garrick's line about there are rules in war according to humans,
0: rules that make winning that much more difficult. In my opinion, yeah. And then, and then Cisco, this isn't a vote. There's no crying <laughs> in baseball. Oh what? Oh sorry, <laughs> the league game, Smokey. There, are, there are rules. Mark it in eight. Because everybody's just like, well, we should do this, and we should do that. And Cisco's like, just shuts it down. And I have to say that Cisco has toned down the hyperventilating, and he's going yeah. for a deep Shatner voice now. Yeah, every
2: Brooks is just absolutely brilliant in this this first couple of episodes. I mean, he's been consistently good, but there are moments of, of Shatner over-the-topness that he does when he does the hyperventilating thing that you, Bill, are so very, very good at taking the piss out of. <laughs> <But> <laughs> I don't know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, that. But he's—he has toned that down an awful lot. And now he's, he's going for, for his a... hot
0: character from, uh... yeah,
2: from Spencer Fryer <laughs> and the the show just benefits from it immensely. To have a captain who, who you can't mimic whenever he goes out of his way,
3: what yeah, you could you can just kind of picture that when, when uh, they're on the bridge. And, and he does that, and then he leaves, and everybody on the on the bridge starts going, hur, 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 <laughs> they all just are laughing at him. Oh,
0: no, that would never happen in a military organization.
1: <clears throat>
0: oh, Bill. Yes? Would you like
1: to tell everybody where the title Rocks and Shoals comes from? Why, yes, Dave, I would. <laughs> so I get back to the part where it's, I looked it up earlier. I know it's, it's uh, You had
0: to
3: look it up, I figured you might know it off the top of your head. Yeah.
0: Well, technically, um, I mean, if you want to, um, I guess, because I had thought about this. Okay. The episode title refers to the articles of the government of the United States Navy, nicknamed Roxanne Shoals. The punishment of death or such other punishment as a court martial may indulge a judge, a judge. may may be inflicted on
3: any person
0: in the naval service who intentionally or willfully suffers any vessel of the Navy to be stranded or run upon rocks and shoals or improperly, hazarded, or maliciously or willfully injuries any vessel of the Navy or any part of her tackle, armament, or equipment whereby the safety of the vessel is hazarded or the lives of the crew exposed to danger. So technically, I was almost brought the captain's mast somewhat in a roundabout way on this very charge. What? because <laughs> Yes,
3: yes. This is the place I didn't expect this conversation to go. Yeah.
0: Well, because what happened was, and it falls under the line of any part of um, the equipment whereby the safety of the vessel is hazarded, well, which technically wasn't safety. It was a minor offense. What happened was we had a computer system, a separate computer, and it was called JOTS. Uh, I'm not going to bother to tell you what the acronym means. But it was for our Tomahawk weapon system, and what it was, it was a separate computer that you could input scenarios into our system outside of how the re- we could simulate the real world through this computer and send stuff to our weapon system on the ship. Much like, oh, much like we'll see in the next episode. Mm. You follow me? Yes. Okay. So we could do this with this computer. However, there is a, um, there is a system... And no, this is not a joke. It's called PMS in the name. (laughs) That's great. It's called preventive maintenance system. Okay. And with, with the PMS, there's certain things. There's daily checks, monthly checks, semi-annual checks, blah, blah, blah. And it's how you service and maintain the equipment on the ship. Well, this particular computer was not integrated into the PMS system. It did have temporary PMS cards, but they were never implemented into our regular stuff that we're supposed to do. So this piece of equipment fell through the cracks, and nobody ever did anything with it, and it sat there. and In event and and uh, it was like a year, and nobody had touched it because we didn't use it usually. We just ran our own scenarios through our own thing. But this this computer could simulate things coming from outside sources to our system, like satellite things, radar, blah 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 blah. So anyway, we went to have a certification for our. Um, it's a big thing called CMTQT, a cruise missile tactical qualification team. And they came on board, and they went to the JOTS computer, and the JOTS computer didn't work. So, they put me and the other guy in our work center up on charges for gun decking. Um, gun decking means you were supposed to do maintenance, but you did not. And um, you that's a Big deal because it could affect the readiness of the ship. Blah blah blah. So I thought I was going to go the captain's mast because of this, and then maybe busted a rank, confined to the ship. I wouldn't be shot or keel hauled. Know if you guys know what keel hauled is? You know what keel hauled
3: is? They, yep. They put you on the on the keel and don't they whip you? <clears throat> no, they
0: take you. They tie you a rope to your feet and hands and they pull you underneath the ship. Oh, bring that's you even better. <laughs> they pull you on. They pull you underneath the ship and bring you up the other side. They don't do that anymore was like the whole idea was they run you across the barnacles on the bottom of the ship and rip you up. Ooh. Yeah. And that salt water feels real good too. So, um, but yeah, I almost went, I didn't go to master this, but, uh, I was so stressed out. I lost like 10 pounds in a week. And, uh, but you know, everything t- t- worked out in the end. So, but yeah, uh, yeah, I'm very
1: familiar. That's why when I read <laughs> this, I was like,
0: oh yeah, I know all
1: about this. <laughs> I'm a subject matter expert. <laughs> uh, yeah, so thank you,
0: Dave, for allowing me to bring that to the table. Yeah. <laughs> but on a comical note, um, so when Kira gets on the elevator, all I could think of was the Looney Tunes cartoon
1: with the dog and the coyote. Morning, <laughs> Sam.
3: Morning, Ralph.
1: They're punching their time cards. <laughs> Do we have anything else on the episode? Anything
0: specific? Uh, uh, the music, I, the music is very, very good in this episode. It's subtle, especially with uh, with Kira on the station. It's not bombastic. It's very subdued but ominous sounding. Um, I also liked. Uh, I kind of got a Star Trek Two vibe from Garrick in the opening. You know when he's like, "Hold on." <laughs> when he's when they're going, that's a great shot with the ship falling to the planet, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then just like, "Oh no!" Yeah, <laughs> it started
2: to become a little bit of a Star Trek cliche that if they need you to not be able to see anybody, they find a nebula
0: conveniently nearby. Yeah, like
2: nebula's at why... the
1: corner store of the universe. <laughs> yeah,
0: why didn't the pursuing ships go in there? That's what I couldn't figure out. I'm like, why didn't they go in there to defend the, you know, our, the our scans <laughs> would be useless. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, nobody has anything to say about Mavic the coffee boy?
3: <laughs>
0: you did mention him
3: several times
0: already. <laughs> I just felt, I was like, I want the story about this guy. I want to know what's going on in his head. I'm going to bring her a coffee. You know, maybe someday she'll say thank, you know, she likes me. I like Major Kira. I mean, because all these, all the, uh, Cardassians have, uh, you know, Bajoran jungle fever, which we'll see that next episode again with Gul Dukat. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: Wow, I can't but believe the suicide scene. jungle fever. Oh, my
2: God. <laughs> I can't, we've not mentioned the suicide scene, which was a very yeah. reminiscent of killing Dick Grayson's parents on Batman the Animated Series, in that you don't actually see anything, but the way that they shoot it is just, holy shit,
1: I can't yeah. believe they went there. You don't see anything, but yeah. you see enough. Yeah. yeah. Evil must be opposed. That... that- that was another haunting image. I mean, this episode, I, like you said, it's a sleeper hit or sleeper yeah. episode because I'd never heard the title of this episode mentioned in anything before. So I'm sitting uh-huh. ready for like a middle of the road episode. And this was, I mean, no secret. I'm going to be ranking this pretty damn high.
0: Me too. Well, if I could go higher than a five, I would yeah. stop me before. I'm sorry. I've watched this episode over and over again and I don't tire of
1: it. Yeah, it's it's a it's something that goes beyond good Star Trek into stellar television, no pun intended. This this could go right up there with your, your Emmy-winning uh, cop shows, law shows, whatever you like. Yeah. Performances were great across the board. The themes were clear, but not hitting you over the head with it. Nope. And the ending was something where you feel a little
3: bit dirty. Yeah. 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 It's true. You're you're right on all all fronts. So should we rate the episode, or are we... We're not doing Blaine first. Uh, yeah, you know, we, we've had some issues lately as to which goes first. Do we rate and then read Blaine, or do we... Read Blaine and then rate. In the past plane really rate
1: and then read Blaine, but we can go
3: either way. All right. Whatever is preferred by the group.
0: Oh, do we have any good uh, quotes? I mean it's all full of quotes, good quotes. I know we've kind of that's kinda of
2: way way, way Pretty much back and forth. Anything Garrick said, but particularly I'm afraid my sewing kit went down with the ship. <laughs> You're in trouble now. <laughs> um Jadzia complaining about the hardness of the bed in the hotel. It was genuinely amusing. <laughs> Uh, and just the way Cole delivered the line, I've ripped my pants!
3: Yeah, <laughs> I thought that, me, that was don't great. The way they, yeah, where they just, all start to laugh afterwards, it just yeah. seems so genuine.
1: It, it, you know, I could see where somebody would say that's out of place, but in situations like this, there are those moments where It's everything's so far gone, all you can do is laugh. Yeah, well, you need to release some of the high stress. stress. Yeah, Yeah,
2: there's the stress level. They've crashed, landed the ship. They're trapped somewhere. They have no idea where they are or how they're going to survive or where they're going from. And yet the thing that makes O'Brien lose it is that he rips his
0: pants. Mm -hmm. And that's just inherently relatable. Yeah, that's very real. Until we establish communications, we will hold this world for the Dominion. And if we don't restore communications, then we will hold this world for the Dominion. Until we... (laughs) die ah great lines. yeah great lines it's
2: it's, it's one of ron moll's best scripts and he wrote a lot of good scripts
0: do you really want to give up your life for the order of things it's not it is not my life to give captain and it never was
2: ah
1: i think one of my what favorite is- lines is when cisco comes back up from that conversation yeah and and o'brien's like well what did he say all the wrong things
0: oh, oh. <laughs> evil must be opposed yeah, yeah,
1: man, this was so good. I mean, it's, it's I don't have a, even any nitpicks. This was a tightly delivered episode.
3: Yeah, I really, I really don't either. I, I, when and do
1: when they
0: get uh, moved down, is that like a, uh, um, is that like a homage to like westerns, like the Wild Bunch or something like that? That's how, how know, I took the, it. When Yeah, that's, yeah, that's kind of what I saw.
3: But, uh, we, uh, we had a little break in between recording sessions So this was, instead of two weeks from between recording We went four weeks So what, what often happens when we do that is It's not expected So we watch the episodes in order to prepare And then two weeks goes by So I managed to watch this one three times While yep. we were uh, in between episodes And I didn't. it still felt fresh even when I watched it last night mm. So that's, yeah. that's, that, spe- that speaks for its quality
2: Yeah, I watched this one a couple of times as well to refresh on that, and I have exactly the same reaction. It was
3: still great. So did did you actually give it your rating? Excuse me, Dave, did you give it your rating? No, I'm going
1: to give it, I'm going to actually, I'm going to go ahead and give it a five. I mean,
3: there's no reason not to.
2: Yeah, I'm in exactly the same place. I was like, is it four? Is it 4.5? But no, it, it's a five. It, it's a just such a good one that doesn't get the love we think it deserves. I'm, I'm going to go five.
3: I'm going to go three point. I'm going to go five. Oh, sure <laughs> <not>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with everything you guys have said about this. This is just terrific entertainment and food for thought as well.
0: I'm
1: going to go with uh, five broken vials of Ketrasal White. <laughs> I'm glad you went with that. I was wondering if you were going to go with five hung uh, uh, Four. yeah Well, FedEx. my yeah. other
0: t- my other two choices were five strong Bajoran ropes yep. and five fallen Vedic hats. But I took the high road. Oops, I guess I didn't.
3: So uh, I guess we have to figure out what Blaine says. Oh, God, i got to come up with a new song.
0: Um uh... <laughs> morning blaine morning sam what did you say (laughs) all right so
3: blaine says hi guys we've got tension we've got alien situations we've got politics we've got combat tactics and we've got a memory of past episodes with nog telling garrick to stay ahead of him not a lot of black and white and plenty of shades of gray ladies and gentlemen this is definitely deep space nine one of the reasons Sisko is my favorite Star Trek captain is his ability to integrate into other cultures. Picard came close as he always made a point to gain knowledge about other cultures but Sisko is the one who can step outside of the Federation mold and meet them on their own terms with surprising regularity. His interactions with both the Third and with the Vorta are stellar examples of this. There's more coming this season too. I've just been wh- binge watched the first six episodes of the season so your next few emails are coming in a batch. I also want to call out the scenes with Nog and Garrick. Not only do the writers go out of their way to refer to the past, as they should, Nog is not likely to forget what happened, but we see how his treatment of Garrick actually gives him a greater esteem in Garrick's eyes. Also, just as with last week, there is no to be continued on screen, but let's face it, it's to be continued.
1: Not well. But (laughs) not because the next episode
3: is bad, because continuity is weird between the two. Spoilers. Yeah, it's well we'll we'll get there. We'll get there. So but with the continuity and all what are we doing next time? Next time an all new episode. Listen to the prophet's
2: Sons and Daughters. Love and laughter tears of sadness and happiness and that is for all of our Australian listeners, all one of them
3: (laughs) I'll be happy if we have one so, see you all next week or two weeks, bye everybody Bye.
0: toodaloo he was the greatest dancer Ramada Klein oh that hurt
2: listen to the prophets at Deep Space Nine podcast is a two true freaks Presentation. It is hosted by Andrew Leyland and Paul Spataro. The music and sound clips used in the show are copyright CBS and Paramount Entertainment. If you like to buy stuff from Amazon, and who doesn't, why not drop by the 2 website, where if you click the little link that we have there, it will take you straight through that site. And whilst it won't cost you any extra, we'll put a few shekels in our tip jar, which helps create content like this. We very much hope you enjoyed listening to The Prophets. Every episode is dedicated to the memory of our pal, Sean Engel.
0: Today I'll be played by Ted Cassidy. (laughs) Uh, Uh, Existence survival must cancel out programming. Rats a ruck.